Welcome to episode five of the Coaching and Mentoring Podcast, season two. My name's Dave T, Chair of the Wales Coaching Centre at the University of South Wales. We provide coaching, mentoring and supervision, working with individual practitioners to develop their coaching and mentoring expertise and with organisations to help their coaching and mentoring practice to flourish. Our guest today is Professor David Clutterbuck, who's been at the leading edge of mentoring for over three decades. David has just updated me that he's now working on his 75th book, and he's widely cited as one of the most influential thinkers in management and most certainly within the field of coaching and mentoring. David co-founder of the EMCC, the European Mentoring and Coaching Council, whose reach now spreads far beyond Europe, and he's their special ambassador. He heads up a network of mentor trainers at Coaching and Mentoring International, and he's a visiting professor at Oxford Brooks, York St. John, and Sheffield Hallam Universities. Welcome, David. And also at Henley. And at Henley. Gosh, the list grows. Congratulations. <laughs> So the podcast is called the Coaching and Mentoring Podcast, but we realised we'd had quite a strong emphasis on the coaching side of the equation. And, you know, by all means, feel free to talk about coaching, but we thought we'd try to redress that balance. So we're particularly appreciative to have you here. If we could start by asking you, please, to tell our listeners about your background and about what it was that first had you develop an interest in mentoring. I started out as a young journalist, and about the, at the end of the 1970s, I encountered a, an American academic called Kathy Cram, and she was working on mentoring as, as she saw it in the United States. And she did a study of 22 informal mentoring pairs and tried to analyze what it was that they actually did. And she came up with some functions of a mentor, which were a mixture or behaviours and traits and goodness knows what else, but functions seemed to capture the potpourri that she had. And I interviewed her, wrote, wrote an article about it, probably the first article on mentoring in Europe. At least if you don't count the long history of mentoring, going back to Fenelon, the Greek cleric in the court of King Louis XIV, the Sun King, or of course, all the way back to Homer's Odyssey. And we're still debating whether Homer was male, female, or a mixture of different people. So we don't really know. But both Kathy and I published our, our, our first books on the subject, same month, same year, 1985, with very different perspectives. Because Kathy was looking at mentoring from an American tradition where nobody actually heard of Fenlon and, and all the work, and where they couldn't quite understand the subtlety of the Odyssey. And in, in the Odyssey, you've got Athena, the goddess of wisdom, who uses her wisdom to hold conversations with Telemachus, the son of Odysseus, and Odysseus himself, to help them to grow in wisdom, to become wiser persons, to reflect on their experience. There's also Athena, the goddess of martial arts, who's a bloodthirsty harridan, anything but wise. And part of the, the subtlety of the story is that people can ha have multiple aspects to them, and you're, and you're not always wise. In Europe, we've always kept with the, with the concept of wisdom. And so in America, they they managed to mix up sponsorship and mentoring. So sponsorship doing things for people, which is why they call them a protege. And whereas in, in Europe, we always call them the men, a mentee. And we now know that those two roles of sponsor and mentor just don't fit together. 
in my own research back in the 1990s, for my own doctorate, we were able to demonstrate that people that they were two different constructs with different responsibilities, lots of different nuances. Well, recently, it's become very clear that if you have, if you're sponsoring somebody, it or creates behaviours in them which are not which are inauthentic because they want to butter up to you. They want you to be their patron, and so they're going to they're going to be less open to you. So it focuses on transactional help rather than on helping the person to grow and to mature. And so that sort of potted history has been fantastic. It led to the setting up of the European Mentoring Centre, which became in due course the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. And you mentioned that you came to this from journalism. So I'm presuming, David, that you would have been investigating all manner of subjects and topics. What was it about mentoring that really caught your enthusiasm? Well, Everything I've done, I realised I'm, I'm actually writing my 75th book is a, is a look back over my career and the 40 or 50 different models and frameworks that I've created over that time. And I was fascinated by, by dialogue, how having the right conversation with the right people at the right time in the right way can change so many things. And I've been fortunate enough to have a few mentors myself, starting at school with a, uh, a tremendous uh, teacher, who my English teacher, but he somehow used to deviate in his lessons into algebra, architecture, astronomy, you name it. It was wonderful. That eclecticism has, has stayed, stayed with me. And then I was lucky briefly to be mentored by the person I wanted to use the role model, which is so important in mentoring, with Peter Drucker, the great management guru. And I was able to see the power, even though some, it, was, it was just a very brief encounter, but I, modeled, but I, I used him at, at a distance as well as the few times I met him as a role model for developing a career both as a journalist and as an academic. And that's, that's really stood me in, in great stead ever since. One particular thing that happened was we met at, a, at, in a, at an event in, uh, in Oxford uh, with a small group of us. And he, with that twinkle that he had in his eye, he said, you know, sometimes I need a statistic, he said. And I find that if you are enough of a guru, he said, and you just make one up, nobody will ever ask, ever, ever question it. And I thought, that, that sounds fun. So a few weeks later, I, I did an experiment. I was doing a, um, a speech to a Financial Times conference on total quality. And in the middle of it, I dropped the statement. And of course, research shows that it always costs at least five times more to get a new customer than to keep an old one. And nobody queried it. You can see it in 99.7% of all the articles and books on total quality. I'm kidding, of course. We don't know. But the great Daniel Kahneman, the, the Nobel Prize winner, The Economist, and we had a correspondence about this. You know, what was going on here? And this is not, basically, if somebody in a position of authority says something that actually fits with what you already, th what sounds right, it fits with the, with, with the narrative you already have, your fast brain is just going to basically not question it. You're just going to accept it. So that led me to a career of iconoclasm testing out, what's the evidence for this? Is this really true? And all this way through coaching and mentoring, it's been about knocking down stuff that's just somebody's opinion or a bit of thinking fast. I'm really tempted to check that claim of 75 books. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you talked about Kathy Cram in the States and uh, – your work in the 80s and then moving on to your doctoral research in the 90s. How have you seen the field of mentoring grow and evolve in 
the time since then, please? Well, to start with, mentoring, formal mentoring, was all about elite. It was, in fact, the American definition at the time of Cathy was overseeing the career of a young man. So, so you, you get a sense of, you know, of just how limiting it was. And it was all about taking young graduates and, and inculcating them into the way of, of, into the corporate way. And the classic example of this is the firm with Tom Cruise and Gene Hackman, where Gene Hackman is the mentor trying to protect this young man against the appalling practices within this, this firm which was, uh, if I remember the story correctly, a front for the mafia. Eventually, the mentor gets shot, but I don't think that's normal. But the idea that it was for, 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 elite, for elite people, people who are already privileged. Now, very quickly, mentoring has evolved into a much wider thing. Clearly, it's, it's not no longer gender-specific. And we see thousands and thousands of programs around the world aimed at people who really need help in terms of inner-city youth, people in schools, in underprivileged schools, and so forth, people with, 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 with dyslexia. The emphasis of mentoring has moved away from the privileged to the less privileged. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a brilliant thing. But at the same time, we've seen the rise of professional mentoring, which caters for the, 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 the privileged, and particularly for people who are retiring from a corporate life, can become a mentor. And it's different from being a coach. Because you have much more permission to use your knowledge and your experience to ask more powerful questions to help somebody to grow. And so we're finding that, that we have mentoring academies now starting up in multiple countries around the world, aimed at, at equipping people with a level of capability at least equivalent to, and in many cases, greater than that of a coach with the equivalent, equivalent practice. So I think that, that's, a great, that's a great move. I have a program we are been trying to launch for several years and COVID got in the way, but we're hoping to get it off the ground this year. We've been uh, having the materials all revised and upgraded. We're aiming to create 5 million school age coaches and mentors around the world. And the idea is this, you know, people come into the workplace and they can't do any of these things. They get a boss and they learn from that boss how to do things in a command and control way. And then, then, when the company wants them to become mentors or coaches, it's got to be, it's got a whole lot of remedial work to do. We want them to get into the workplace, better able to manage their careers, better able, knowing what it's like to be a coach or mentor and to be coached and mentored. This, I think, is a really, it's really powerful. Fantastic. More power to you. You've mentioned, we talked about sponsorship, we've talked about elites, we've talked about privilege. I have experienced, certainly in the public sector or maybe working with unions, a resistance to maybe what they perceive mentoring to be, um, as opposed to perhaps what it actually is, because they see it will give privilege to those who become mentees. Have you come across this argument before? To a certain extent, but I think one of the most powerful developments in recent years has been what used to be called reverse mentoring, what we now call reciprocal mentoring. And we call it reciprocal mentoring because it's changed in the concept. So in reverse mentoring, you take somebody junior, and it could be from a technical perspective that, that they're mentoring somebody more senior, or it could be from an ethnicity and race and, and, and cultural background, but somebody from a junior, less privileged background who works with, the most, with somebody in the senior level who's you know, typical from a white male majority. 
and they educate each other. But the idea is that the more senior person will keep an eye on the other person's career, help them to work their way to learn how to work within the corporate structure. And the junior person will open the more senior person's mind to the reality of life from somebody from a different background. But the impact of that is limited simply because it's helping one person get through that, you know, that get through. It's not attacking the system. So what we're now focusing on dramatically in places like Oxford, Oxford County Council, British Standards Institute and elsewhere within the health service is actually using those partnerships of people in junior and senior levels to come together to create a caucus for change to collectively to address the systemic causes of disadvantage and overprivilege. That's fantastic. I've asked you about your background and I've asked you about some of the changes you've noticed. Thinking about your work with the EMCC or EMCC Global, what vision does it have? What strategies it has for taking mentoring forward over the, the coming five, ten years? Well, back in the, in the late 1990s, when EMCC expanded from EMC to, to bring in the coaches, we realized there was a lot of work to do in creating standards, in creating pro all sorts of stuff, ethical codes. And EMCC basically let, led this process, and then other professional bodies came in afterwards, which, which is fine. And now, now the bodies all come together in the Global Coaching and Mentoring Council, so, for, so ICFIC and um, uh, EMCC and, and several other organizations are now trying to to, to cl collaborate and coordinate in a much more productive way than before. But at that stage, we needed to spend time getting things, helping the coaching pro profession professionalize. And although I have some, some reservations about the focus on professionalism or professional or coaching as a profession, because that applies, it's all about a business. And being on a panel a, a few months ago, with a bunch of um, American um, authorities in coaching and being quite shocked by everything that they presented, even about the development of coaches, was all in the framework of making more money, growing your business. And I think mentoring has, has been much more about a vocation. It's something that you do, and it's more often pro bono. And when we look at coaching as well, we think, does it really want to go totally down the professional route or, the, or is it a vocation as well? And somewhere in between, there's what I call a provocation, which I think is a, is a great way of describing what we're trying to do when we bring the two together. And in doing that, we, we've learned that, or, or looking at the two as they come together, one of the things that's come up, come up very strongly from the research that we're doing into coach maturity is that when coaches become truly mature and really, I don't like the word masterful, but have that, that, that level of, of ease and expertise, uh, which, which a maestro has, they integrate being a coach with being a mentor. They use more and more of themselves. And so being a mentor and being a coach, actually at that senior level of capability, the two are intertwined. And so most of what we what coaches get taught at the beginning is fine in the sense that it's fine for somebody to ride a bicycle with um, stabilize on it on it when they're five but you don't see very many competitors in the olympics with still with stabilizers on their bikes 
And a lot of what we have to let go of in coaching is about becoming more like mentors, using ourselves and our experience wisely to craft those powerful questions, to give context to aid the quality of somebody's thinking. And context giving and advice giving are very different. Mentors have never given advice in the European tradition. Coaching, on the other hand, was all about giving advice all the way up to, to, to the time that Timothy Galway introduced a different way of thinking about it in the, in the 1970s. And it's only in the past 25 years that the majority of references to coaching have been in this non-directive questioning approach. So actually thinking about you know, the, the bringing together of coaching and mentoring, it's, it makes a lot of sense. If we stick with the term mastery, <laughs> the quotes around well, it. Yes, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm tempted to say mastery and mistressery, but it doesn't. Really... <laughs> there's a there's a better term out there. Listeners, please write in. But the distinction between that and someone perhaps starting out as a coach who might be heard one or more times in a session saying, "Let me just take off my coaching hat." <laughs> Could you speak to that, please? What the difference would be. I think if you've got to do that, you've probably missed the whole point. You're trying to do too much. But you can say things. Can I share with you an experience that might be relevant or a piece of information that might help to shape your thinking? And that's okay. If you don't share things like that, you're actually diminishing the quality of, of what you're offering to the client. An analogy I sometimes use is teaching somebody to sail. And when you get in a dinghy, you learn there's a couple of things that you really need to, to get the hang of pretty early on. And they both basically belong to what happens when you want to turn around. It's nice when you're just going, the wind's behind, behind you or coming from the side, you're totally along. But there's a point when you want to turn, when you've got to do two things. You've got to loosen the, the sheet or the rope and you've got to duck. If you don't loosen the sheet, the boat tips over. If you don't duck, you get a very sore head. And you know, do you say, do you, do you as, 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 as a coach or, um, working with somebody in that, in that environment, so you're coming behind this, do you say, now, is there anything you might like to be thinking about at this moment? Or I can see something that you might want to think about. Can you, can you guess what it is? Um, you know, by that time, they're already in trouble. And, it's, and, and there, are, there are clear things where we do give, um, where, we, where it's important that we give, that we give somebody some advice. The, the other big thing here is that the idea that you can coach somebody just on anything, it's dangerous. You've got to understand enough about the context to be able to keep the person safe and not be like the coach who unwittingly um, colluded with a client who, in, who was um, engaging in insider dealing because the coach had no knowledge of the financial services sector. He just thought he could coach in any, any sector. We see many examples like this. So feel free to push back against the, the, the premise in this question, but I do know of some mentors at one point or another as they develop their maturity who read all the, the literature about this non-directive facilitative coaching, this crafting of these very artful and incisive, powerful questions and so on, and maybe feel a bit of coach envy. And I'm often at pains to say mentoring is a fine and noble calling in and of itself. But then they will point to, I'm just, 
title of this podcast is coaching and mentoring. You mentioned the Global Code of Ethics. That's for coaches and mentors, the MCC itself, its competency framework. I do know there are mentoring-specific professional bodies in different countries around the world, but I, I would flatter you by putting the EMCC as sort of categorically different in terms of the brand, the profile, the reputation that it has. Is there a way that we can create more mentoring-specific tools, help build that as a, a calling, a, a what's it, a provocation? Provocation, yeah. In and of itself, rather than always mentoring and coaching or coaching and mentoring? Well, there seems to be a strong movement towards that now. We're beginning to see that, that you, you, you can begin, you, you can identify some differences, but they are nuances. They are not nice black and white. And the way I like to explain it is coaching and mentoring are both about two conversations with, a, with one that links them. And so one of those conversations is about the inner world, helping the person understand themselves, their values, their principles, their fears, their strengths and weaknesses, their aspirations, and so forth. The other is about helping them get clarity about the outside world. They're, who are their champions? What's happening in, in their particular area of, of, of expertise or their sector? And, and what, what might their career path look like? Coaching and mentoring both link that clearer understanding of your internal world with the clearer understanding of the external world so you can make better decisions. The difference comes between a coach will tend to focus a bit more on the internal world and the mentor a bit more on the external world. We're really talking 60-40 here. And the primary driver of this is the coach doesn't have what the mentor has, which is relevant experience to be able to bring to that conversation about the external world. And that could be life experience. It could be technical experience. It could be a whole range of things. But we're seeing a vast expansion of entrepreneurial mentoring and that the expertise that mentors bring is really about the particular area of business that the mentee is in. It's more about starting a business, what, how you get, get investors. It's about you know, the, how the stages of growth of a business. You can't really coach somebody in those contexts if you don't understand that stuff. And I think the notion of the mentoring academy is one of the ways where we're helping mentors to really hone that expertise. So most mentors, mentor training has been at the foundation level, if that, uh, over the last three decades. We're now seeing a much greater emphasis pushing towards practitioner and senior practitioner. And in fact, we've just completed last week the first senior practitioner classes in Russia for 25 senior practitioner mentors. Excellent. And it, we're seeing a, a real upswell. Okay, so changes are coming. You mentioned about Kathy Cram and the notion of mentoring, certainly as it was understood at the time in the States and the difference between the protege and the, the mentee and the tradition in Europe. And we've also spoken about the MCC becoming much more global, moving out to Asia Pacific and other territories. In that growth, in that increased engagement, is it becoming aware of other mentoring traditions different to the ones that we might have in parts of the West? And if so, how might they inform and enrich the way that we practice? I think one of the things that we tried to instill in the MCC right from the beginning was diversity. 
So we wanted diverse opinions, which is why the American academics had a different view of mentoring, but we invited them to do that. They became part of our community. So the International Mentoring Association in the States, which is not really international, but <laughs> it's mostly pretty much all, all in America and, North and, and Canada, but it's, it, it's, we, we, you know, we have a very close relationship with them, helping them in spreading the, 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 the concepts and research and, and, and so forth. And in recent years, I coined the, 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 the phrase, the decolonization of coaching and mentoring. And what we mean by that is both coaching and mentoring have been dominated by uh, the cultural influences and assumptions of particularly of North America, but North America and, and Europe. And we've got all sorts of very different traditions, also thousands of years old. The narratives that people tell, that they link with, coaching in the Arabic countries and the mentoring in the, in the Arabic countries have a different flavor because of the way that they're linked to, into cultural expectations. So what's happening increasingly is we're starting to see localization where people take what they want from how we do it in the West and actually say, well, in our culture, this is what fits. And, and I think we've been encouraged in that greatly. One of the coaches I, I supervise told me just, uh, just a few days ago that she's gonna act, she was going to do, do a paper to a conference and challenge me on the word decolonization. And, and say, wait, that's not the way that they see it from the perspective of, in this case, a South American culture. And what we arrive at talking about this is that decolonization is the term that we need to apply to the West, trying to impose it or unconsciously or consciously imposing its view on the rest of the world. But contextualization is the term that makes sense for the other countries which are bearing the brunt of colonization. And so actually choosing our language, I think is fascinating. The way that we have to adapt to the diversity by listening to what the terms mean or what terms are appropriate in these other cultures. We've got in Southern Africa, we've got Ubuntu coaching, Ubuntu, I am because we are. And that has an, 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 an Ubuntu mentoring is, is very similar. It's much more collective very often. So where we might have a single mentor, in, in, in many tribal systems, it's, a, it's multiple mentors. And in fact, the same thing, same phenomenon we've identified in um, some of the First Nations in North America. So I think adapting the principles of mentoring to different cultural needs and context is a next phase. Brilliant. And I'm sure that will speak to the heart of 78.3% of our listeners. <laughs> 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 Thank you very, very much. We often like to close our podcast by asking people about upcoming trends that interest them. Just before we started recording, you touched upon work that you're doing about how coaching and mentoring can make use of virtual reality. I'm really curious to hear more about that, please, David. Well, I think it's quite mind-blowing. Um, we've been practicing on some of this stuff. It's coming in, but one of the big consult um, accountancy firms has bought 60,000 headsets to move their training into virtual reality. Doing a Zoom or a Teams session, it's very flat. You can't get that sense of being really with the person to reach out and touch them. With virtual reality, you can. And 
there's something special about saying, okay, well, let, we'll have a we'll have a mentoring session tomorrow, and I'll meet you in a Japanese water garden where we can just relax and you know catch up and so forth. And then when we when we want to get down to business, we can move into a meeting room or we can go for a walk in the forest. We choose our environment where we can actually walk side by side and talk with each other. There's so much more power from that human connection. And we're only just beginning to understand these things. And then, of course, we can use all sorts of tools that we can't here. So we can, go, we can create constellations, look at issues, put all the players together and use all sorts of, of, of other avatars. We can use symbols. We can, also, and we can walk around them, walk inside them. We can swap bodies. So if you and I were having a mentoring session right now, you could look be inside my eyes, watching yourself describe the situation that you that you brought for, for to mentoring. That's scary, but but amazing. And I, and I, as I shared with you earlier, I thought the experience of taking our our mentoring session to a completely different environment, sitting on the edge of a giant birthday cake, floating in the air above a tropical jungle, with all the vertigo that goes with it. Absolutely mind-blowing. There's a vision to conjure. Thank you very, very much for your time today, Dave. It's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you. It is a great pleasure. I should basically uh, say, for, for it, I am 75 this year, and for my 75th birthday, not only is, this, is am I producing the book, but I'm going to do a grand tour, all being well, of Asia-Pacific. So I'm going to spend nearly three months touring, in many cases, countries where nobody ever goes to, like the Pacific Islands, and bring some coaching and mentoring to, to those places. Uh, and uh, it's a wonderful adventure. Hearing about that, hearing about pioneering work in virtuality, hearing about that mission with the education sector, so many good things to come from your work. Thank you very, very much, David Clutterbuck. It's a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Wales Coaching Centre based at the University of South Wales. We are a centre of excellence for coaching and mentoring and here to support their development and growth through training, qualifications, conferences, CPD events and our community of practice. To find out more, please search for USW Coaching and Mentoring.